Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and let's take a look at CT of the Pancreas. And this is part three, and this will be the third of the last part. Now, I mentioned before about looking for metastasis. We mentioned the liver is one of the most critical areas. Now, when liver lesions are large, they're easy to see, but at times, as in this case, they can be very small. There is some work being done with patients with solitary liver mets once they get chemotherapy to go back and to operate on the patients. But if you have multiple METs, you're surely not going to be resectable. And even a solitary MET changes your prognosis. And unless you respond really well to chemotherapy and your surgeon's very aggressive, uh, it's going to be a bad outcome. So typically, lesions in the liver metastatic from pancreatic cancer are hypovascular. They can be subtle, as in this case. They can be very obvious. This patient has a tumor in the body of the pancreas. There's nodes in the port of hepatis. And this widespread liver metastasis shown on the axials, as well as nicely shown on the coronals and on the volume rendering. Obviously, patients like this will give chemo, be given chemotherapy, but their outcome is obviously going to be poor. We also see spread into the peritoneal cavity. Tiny implants will make patients unresectable. This is a more dramatic case, extensive ascites, tumor tail of pancreas, tumor growing on the omentum, widespread carcinomatosis present, obviously also widespread liver metastasis. So we looked very carefully at the omentum when cases are this extensive, obviously it's not very subtle. But subtle implants on the omentum can be challenging unless you're careful. Some centers will actually do laparoscopic surgery and look around your peritoneal cavity before they do a Whipple's to make sure they're not missing tiny mets on the liver or on the peritoneal surface. Now we talk about adjacent organ involvement. Most pancreatic head tumors are commonly will involve the duodenum. Tumors of the tail of the pancreas will involve the spleen. Neither of them will make you unresectable, but involvement of the kidney, the colon, or the stomach typically do. In this case, the patient presented late. The patient presented with symptoms of gastric outlet obstruction. The stomach's distended, but that's because the duodenum is distended, and the tail of the pancreas grows into the duodenum by the ligament of trites near the duodenum, which is unal junction, and that's what's causing the obstruction. This is a late presenting tumor and the patient will be unresectable. Just a very nice coronal and 3D mapping showing you the involvement. And here it is again in the cinematic where you can see the red being the fluid in the stomach or the fluid in the patient's bowel and the red nicely shown as well as the tumor itself. And you can see as we go back and forth between the volume rendering and the cinematic rendering in the coronals, I just wanted to show you how you use all of that information in evaluating the patient. And here's just a nice example, same case, showing you the tumor, its textural change, and the involvement of the duodenum by the ligament of trites. Another patient, large mass, and in fact, in this case, I would be thinking about a duodenal cancer. Sometimes it's hard to separate duodenal cancers from pancreatic cancers invading the duodenum. Particularly in this area, I would have thought of a tumor of the duodenum or jejunum, which is involving the patient's SMA. But when you look at this, even coronal view, you could think of that, but the epicenter is a tumor coming from the uncinate, encasing SMA, and growing directly into the patient's duodenum. Now the truth is in terms of therapy, it's not gonna make much of a difference. Some of the chemotherapies will work better 
on adenocarcinomas of the small bowel, but again, it can be a challenging diagnosis. And of course, the patient in either case is unresectable. You see nicely on these examples with volume rendering, the patient's infiltration and encasement of the SMA, and also involvement of the SMV, all very nicely shown. In this case, you see a large mass of the distal body and tail of the pancreas involving the spleen. Now, involving the spleen, as I mentioned a few moments ago, does not make you unresectable because with a distal pancreatectomy, you always do a splenectomy. But in this case, the tumor is large, there's infiltration around the spleen, a bad sign, and there's infiltration and extension to the stomach. So in this case, this patient will be unresectable. Patient will get chemotherapy, maybe radiation therapy, and if they had a miracle response, perhaps you can consider doing something like an Appleby procedure, but that's pretty rare. Direct extension to involve the stomach, no great surprise, typically tail of pancreas lesions, though it can be body or even head. They're usually larger tumors, more aggressive, diffusely infiltrating. And of course, in this case, besides the gastric involvement, you see lots of ascites and you see carcinomatosis, making the patient unresectable. So just a very nice example of the tumor infiltration and encasement, well shown on the volume rendering as well. And you could see when we do patients with pancreatic cancer, when we're staging or we're planning surgery, when we're dealing with the surgeons or the oncologists, we use all our tools from the axials to the coronals to the sagittals, to the volume rendering, to the MIP, to the cinematic. Now, this patient was interesting. Patient presented with abdominal pain, you see carcinomatosis. There's definite involvement of the patient's stomach by tumor. There's liver metastasis. And you can see this is a pretty aggressive tumor and you begin to wonder where the air is in the stomach. And sure enough, as you scan a couple days later, the tumor now has grown through the posterior wall of the stomach and there's a perforation with peritonitis. This is pretty rare. I've seen ulcers, of course. I've seen fistulae. Direct extension by tumor with then perforation and an abscess is indeed a very rare finding. Now, this is an older article, but when it looks at the errors in staging pancreatic cancer, where are the errors? It's still there. Small liver mets or tiny mets on the liver surface. Vascular encasement were pretty good. And these days, if it's only minimal vascular encasement, they'll be able to operate anyway, and adenopathy. If we see larger nodes, we'll call them. But of course, with pancreatic cancer, you can have nodes that are two centimeter and are inflammatory, and nodes that are five millimeter and are positive. Remember, the typical surgeon needs to get 20 to 30 nodes for pathology to really get a good nodal sampling. We do not make a patient unresectable based on the presence of adenopathy. Now this article, I mentioned this before, that you want to make certain that your scan is within four weeks of surgery. Patient who looks resectable three months ago, if you have no other scans and you go to surgery, you could be in for a bad surprise. Now pancreatic cancer can also spread to other areas. Large mass in the pelvis, this is so-called Krukenberg tumors, metastatic pancreas to ovary, large complex cystic masses, which look like primary ovarian cancer, large extensive carcinomatosis, but large tumors. Now some potential pitfalls. Once patients get chemotherapy, the tissue planes around the pancreas can be poorly defined, and perhaps you'll overestimate the extent of disease present. 
So you would need to be very, very careful. Look at comparison studies. Sensitivity prediction of resectability tends to be lower for patients with locally advanced cancer that have been downgraded by neoadjuvant therapy. So it's very important to remember this. And at the end of the day, surgery is the only cure for survival. So if you're uncertain, suggest it may be post-operative change. And this article does make the point, denial of the option for surgical cure by overestimation of the degree of vascular involvement, including venous involvement, particularly venous involvement, should be minimized. Very, very important. This article by Casitano, partial regression of tumor vessel contact indicates suitability for surgical exploration, irrespective of the degree of decrease in tumor size or the degree of residual vascular involvement. That's because often the soft tissue will remain, but the tumor will be gone. So at times you will be able to resect even the soft tissues and then end up with an R0 margin and no definable tumor. Some of the new chemotherapies in combination chemo and radiation will indeed make that very possible. This article by Cassano goes on to say, following neoadjuvant combined chemo and radiation therapy, reduction of tumor to the SMV or portal vein contact, and the reduction of tumor to the SMA contact were significantly associated with a complete resection. And so basically what they nicely showed, and we all know, you don't necessarily need to have no tumor present for there to be no active tumor. Okay, what are the mistakes that we make? False positive. Autoimmune pancreatitis, we've spoken about that in the past. Again, it could look identical to pancreatic cancer, can be a real challenge. Groove pancreatitis can be a challenge. Chronic pancreatitis, particularly when there's mass effect by the head, it's something you need to worry about. Focal steatosis in the pancreatic gland, where you read what's simply fatty infiltration and textural change as a mass, you need to be very careful. And once you have a stent in place in the common duct, you can tend to assume there's tumor present where there may not be. False negative studies, small pancreatic masses, subtle lesions without associated changes like a common duct or a pancreatic duct, acute pancreatitis or chronic pancreatitis that obscures the presence of a tumor, and probably most importantly in this COVID era where I see a lot of really poor scans coming in because patients often can't come to Hopkins, poor scan protocols. And that ranges anywhere from single phase to poor injections to poor timing to all of the above. Now let's look at some errors. Autoimmune pancreatitis is something a lot's been written about. The key findings of the absence of a classic history of prior pancreatitis, elevated Ig4 levels with dramatic response to steroid therapy. Again, the challenge is both clinically and imaging-wise, it could look like pancreatic cancer. So for example, the age range is over 50 typically. Male more common. Presentation includes jaundice, abdominal pain, weight loss, and diabetes. That sounds like pancreatic cancer to me. Now sometimes you see extra pancreatic findings that can be helpful. One of the most common is renal involvement with patchy low density zones within the kidneys. And then I say, aha, it's autoimmune pancreatitis. Often it's the radiologist who makes the call. We have patients who were referred in. The common history is they had a biopsy, the bias was negative or indeterminate. You look at the imaging, it's cigar shaped. You see funny looking kidneys and you know it's autoimmune pancreatitis. But again, 
Weight loss, CA-99 may be elevated. No true history of pancreatitis. And again, can look mass-like. These are all some of the challenges. This article by Lee Felker a couple years back, the most common imaging features of autoimmune pancreatitis was sources shape and low attenuation halo. And to me, those are the best findings. Pancreatic duct dilatation, coming duct dilatation, really doesn't help you all that much because you'll see them both uh, in cancer and autoimmune pancreatitis. The fact is one of the interesting things is you see it less frequently, particularly pancreatic duct dilatation and autoimmune pancreatitis. So if you see a mass but you don't see a dilated duct, you better think about it a little bit more. Typical cases of autoimmune pancreatitis can be accurately differentiated from pancreatic adenocarcinoma and acute interstitial pancreatitis on the basis of characteristic CT findings. However, autoimmune pancreatitis should be considered in the presence of atypical features. And one of the challenges is we see this all the time. Patients still go to surgery for autoimmune pancreatitis. Again, you need to consider it. Often the surgeons do not. Invariably, the patient had endoscopy, and the endoscopist is sure it's tumor, but the biopsy wasn't positive. Some nice examples, very classic. Diffusely enlarged pancreas, low density, the so-called cigar shape, and the halo sign, classic autoimmune pancreatitis. This was originally read as pancreatic cancer, but again, the shape, the size, the lack of pancreatic duct dilatation. But look at the difference in texture between body and tail and the head of the pancreas. Something I showed you before with pancreatic cancer, this is with autoimmune pancreatitis, but there's no glandular atrophy. And again, sometimes the cigar appearance, as well as the halo will be seen best on venous phase imaging, sometimes you'll see it on both phases. And here it's very nicely shown on the venous phase. This is the classic example of autoimmune pancreatitis, and I'm showing it to you in several different perspectives. This is the diagnosis that makes you a hero. Another example, here's a low density by the tail. This looks like a cancer, but you know, the history was kind of a little bit strange. It's easy enough to do an Ig4 when you're uncertain. It was positive. Now, one thing to remember, it's now shown that only a bit more than 60% of patients with autoimmune pancreatitis have an elevated Ig4 level. So if your Ig4 level is not elevated, it doesn't mean you don't have autoimmune pancreatitis. It just means it's less likely. This case is worrisome because it's the tail of the pancreas. But this is a good example showing you that a focal autoimmune pancreatitis can be particularly difficult. Most of the time when it's focal autoimmune pancreatitis is the pancreatic head. But here's a nice example where it's the tail of the pancreas. And again, the cinematic really accentuates the tissue changes through a range of different views and perspectives. But one has to admit it's very hard not to say I'm concerned for pancreatic cancer. And again, how do you treat autoimmune pancreatitis? Two weeks of steroids. If you're not certain, if the lab values don't work, but it still matches, give uh, steroids, 50 milligrams a day for 14 days. The pancreas will shrink, the mass will disappear. Another example, again, felt to be pancreatic cancer. Cigar-shaped appearance I'm showing you nicely. The sausage-shaped appearance, very classic. This is the poster child for autoimmune pancreatitis. What about this case? Join this, there's a stent in place, must be a tumor. Well, you look at the gland, there's no dilated pancreatic duct and the gland looks kind of fat. 
So you kind of wonder, could this be something else? Oh yes, I know the patient has a lipoma in the right colon. But wasn't sure. Gave the patient steroids, 40 milligrams for two weeks. Now look at how atrophic the pancreas is compared to what it was. There it is pre and post steroids left to right. The gland is half the size, autoimmune pancreatitis treated. Just a home run diagnosis. Now other mistakes, false positive we mentioned, but we also mentioned when we talk about this, tumors that simulate pancreatic cancer. This was sent to the Pancreatic Cancer Multidisciplinary Conference, and you can imagine why. It looks like a mass, but if I have that large a pancreatic mass, I would see duct dilatation, and I don't. Could this be a neuroendocrine tumor? That may not obstruct the duct, but then it's vascular. When you see a mass like this, you see under reconstructions it abuts the portal vein, it's not invading the portal vein, it's well-defined. Think about the location. You see the arterial structures are fine. There is some vascularity within the lesion seen. And this means it's coming from the duodenum, and that's a wonderful, wonderful location for a gist tumor. Gist tumors can simulate pancreatic cancer. Sometimes it's impossible to make the diagnosis. The last case, I've seen a number of those, and I've been right ever since I missed the first one. But here's a lesion which looks like a pancreatic cancer. This was an invasive gist tumor coming off the patient's duodenum. So it can be somewhat challenging. There's no way I would have said a gist tumor in this case, particularly with the vessel involvement, the infiltration looks like a classic head to uncinate tumor with bowel and vascular involvement. And here you can see some of the vessel involvement on the MIP imaging. I've shown you a number of MIP images. I really like MIP imaging in pancreatic cancer. It shows vessel narrowing, it shows vessel occlusion, and shows collaterals very well. Now, in terms of staging pancreas, there's a number of misdiagnoses that can also be made. So, of course, we mentioned that not every pancreatic mass is an adenocarcinoma. Cystadenomas can at times be confused. Neuroendocrine tumors when they're not very vascular. Mets of the pancreas usually are hypervascular, typically not a problem, but they can be. Biliary tumors distally, particularly when a stent has been placed, can be difficult. And as I showed you an example of a gist tumor, but also duodenal adenocarcinoma, lymphoma, metastasis, particularly for nodes in the peripancreatic region, can be somewhat confusing, and that commonly occurs from colon cancer. Here's a mass in the body of the pancreas. What's interesting is the texture is that it's higher density, not lower, but there is a duct cutoff. So there is definitely a tumor here. I assume this was pancreatic cancer, though I was a little bit strange. This was metastatic breast cancer in a patient who had breast cancer diagnosed several years earlier. You look at the recon views, it looks like classic pancreatic cancer, except for the fact it's a bit higher density and not low density, but there's the duct cutoff and the transition. Again, I said primary tumor. Once patients have a known tumor, you gotta be thinking about that possibility. Obviously, the most common med will be renal cell carcinoma, and those are typically vascular, but this was breast cancer. Here's another patient, breast cancer metastatic to the pancreas and invades the portal vein. One thing we say with meds is typically they don't have vascular involvement. This case confuses you for that reason. There's a large mass in the head of the pancreas invading the patient's portal vein. I actually would have thought this was a neuroendocrine tumor based on its pattern of involvement. Not every neuroendocrine tumor is hypervascular. This was metastatic breast cancer. Look at the invasion and occlusion 
of the splenic vein, occlusion of the portal vein, SMV confluence, multiple collaterals. Again, I'd be favoring a primary tumor, metastatic disease. Or this case, large mass by the tail of the pancreas. You go through a differential, they all sound bad, and this was bad, but it was metastatic uterine leiomyosarcoma. So many different tumors can go to the pancreas. As patients are surviving longer from other primaries, you will see more metastasis. Remember, mets to the pancreas from renal cell typically happen a minimum of 10 years after the primary tumor. And here's the leiomyosarcoma again through the washout values. And again, something to consider. Here it is with 3D mapping. So just very nicely shown. And here it is with the cinematic rendering. So I will say I showed it to you many different ways. The problem is none of them helped me make the right diagnosis. Now, other things that can happen. I mentioned nodes in the porta hepatis. This looks like an infiltrating tumor in the head of the pancreas. This was lymphoma. Sometimes you see really large bulky nodes in the porta, maybe splenic or liver lesions, a lot of nodes beneath the pancreatic bed. Then you gotta be thinking about lymphoma. This was a bit trickier. It was localized into the peripancreatic region, going up into the hilum. Cholangio you could think of, but it's too bulky. Adenocarcinoma of the pancreas is probably my best choice, but this ended up being lymphoma. So you gotta be thinking about those possibilities. Biopsy is critical. In a case like this, you have a biopsy, it's lymphoma, the patient gets chemotherapy, the patient does not get a Whipple's procedure. So you need to do the right thing for the patient. Here nicely, the tumor infiltration and the portal vein encasement. Another example here, large bulky adenopathy. This patient was referred to us for pancreatic cancer, but the nodes truthfully are too large. And yes, it looks like a mass by the head of the pancreas, but there's so many nodes present. Look at the coronal view. It looks like the infiltration of lymphoma. I mentioned a few moments ago, pancreatic cancer does have nodes, peripancreatic, mesentery, omentum, but the nodes usually aren't very bulky. Here, these nodes are very bulky. When I think bulky nodes, I gotta make sure I'm not dealing with lymphoma. Here it is with vessel encasement and really impressive adenopathy. Here it is on the cinematic rendering with the nodal masses, the infiltration around the vessels, and you can see why it could be confused with a pancreatic tumor and a pancreatic primary, but obviously that's not the case. Now, what else can fuel you? Well, you see a dilated common duct in transition by the head of the pancreas. You say, ah, pancreatic cancer. This patient was 70-ish, but the patient has a stone in the common duct, and that stone passed, and that's the reason the patient has joined this and the common duct is dilated. So if a patient with gallstones or a gallbladder that's contracted, you want to look at transition points. So here, when you looked for the transition, you saw a stone present. So this patient was very lucky. The patient had ERCP. They re retook the stone, removed the stone, and the patient was fine. And again, you can see it nicely on the 3D maps. Common duct, and there's the stone. So it's very important when you see duct dilatation, follow it down, use all of your tools to look for the transition point, whether it's nodes or vessels or tumor, whatever is going on. Now, we still haven't solved the problem of early detection of pancreatic cancer. A lot of work going on, whether it's perfusion CT, I mentioned a bit about texture mapping, some dual energy work, PET CT, and deep learning. The key thing is, can we pick up pancreatic cancer before the patient's symptomatic? Blood tests are looking at that. We're using AI. We spent the last four years 
through grants from the Lust Garden Foundation, teaching the computer to isolate all the various organs by first isolating them ourselves. And by one year, we're able to show that the computer can isolate the pancreas very accurately. Annotated, that's us, prediction is the computer. We then taught the computer to recognize pancreatic cancer. Same thing, we isolated all the structures, showed the tumors, created the mapping of the tumor, and then using the computer with segmentation, expert systems, looking at both the arterial and venous phase imaging, we have been able to learn what tumors look like. We've been able to use radiomics to be able to predict the presence of tumor, AI to localize the tumor. We've developed algorithms from course to find for detection. We've developed different things with geometry, looking at shape to not overcall or undercall tumors. We've done a number of different types of algorithms. We've used multi-organ segmentation to be able to recognize the pancreas and changes in the pancreatic gland and not confuse peripancreatic pathology with pancreatic pathology. So we've done a lot and a lot needs to be done. We're in the 90% range. Our goal is for early detection of pancreatic cancer. So that's something we're working on very closely. So in terms of pancreatic imaging, CT is the gold standard. It's widely available. It's easy to do good studies, but good studies are typically not done. You need dual phase imaging, thin sections, and post-processing. CT is used for triage, whether the patient goes to surgery or radiation therapy or chemotherapy or a combination of that. Being able to plan, plan when the patient goes to surgery based on chemo and radiation become very critical, and CT plays a major role. Also, because CT can be transported around easily, it's easy to get second opinions, experts do a lot better than novices, so that becomes very helpful. So with that, I've had a three-part look at the patient's pancreas and pancreatic cancer. I've talked about what we're looking for, what some of the pitfalls are, the kind of things we need to understand, and how we need to get better. And with that, have a great day. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website, ctisus.com, for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.